0: Cameron DeBazier, and I'm Mark Howard and this is Talking Points. We're continuing our study of Psalms this week, lesson three, titled "The Lord Reigns." Uh, Pastor Howard, you looked at this lesson specifically and drew out the talking points, and um, I did. As I'm seeing each of these lessons unfold right now, there's not like going sequentially through the psalms and saying, this one talks about this. It's a collection of different psalms around a topic or a theme. Yes. And so uh, this, the the reign of the Lord, his rulership and administration of the universe is, I imagine, the theme of this week's lesson.
1: Yes, the Lord reigns. That's All right, I don't know
0: much else we can say about that, except we're going to study it out. Um, but how about I give us a word of prayer, then you can walk us through the specific talking points. Let's do it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are sovereign over this universe and that you do reign. Please, Lord, help us to see that more clearly as we study your word today, and let every Sabbath school class and every teacher and participant be blessed through this study, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. All right. Well, for my study intro, I revisited the idea that uh, the Psalms are praises, Mm -hmm. um, not exclusively or primarily, but we do know that the... Uh, and this is something I don't think we did bring up when we introduced the book, is that the word, the, or the Hebrew title of the book of Psalms is Tehillim, which means praises. It's deri- derived from the root word halal, which means to praise. So we've talked about the idea of Psalms being praises. The lesson is the Lord reigns. And so what I've drawn in my talking points is we're basically praising the sovereign reign of God. Yeah, I don't, I don't know,
0: it strikes me, we've talked about each week, like, really the book is a song book. The next week, it's really, it's a prayer book. Now, this is a praise book, but they're all extolling God in some capacity. Well, some when I
1: say praise, it's praising with instruments, typically. And that's what the language is. In, in the New Testament, the word uh, that's translated psalm, psalmos, has to do with praising, praising with, with music. instruments. Okay, right. interesting. Well, let's continue. So, um, three talking points this week. Number one, praising God's sovereignty. I drawn that Uh, primarily from sabbath sunday monday and thursday Mm -hmm. thursday is one of those things you'll see that for me it kind of was a as you say there's the there's this topic and then we're gathering psalms from all over the place and and so thursday to me was kind of an addendum a little bit and i I worked it into mondays okay so it's maybe not as directly this sabbath sunday monday this first part praising god's sovereignty talking point number two praising god's justice And I've drawn that from Monday and Tuesday. And then finally, Praising God's Mercy, drawn from also Monday and Wednesday. So Monday has a little bit of everything in there um, (laughs) because it talks about the just and merciful and sovereign reign of God, which we'll get into under this first So Monday kind of
0: sets the stage, and the other things kind of maybe flesh it out yes. a little bit more. Okay, so let's look at number one then, praising God's sovereignty. Yes. What does that mean, his sovereignty?
1: Okay, so first of all, God's reign is sovereign. I didn't realize this before until I looked up the etymology, uh, the word meaning there, and and sovereign actually comes from the first part of the word. It, it means super, hmm. and then it's the sovereign reign. Okay. So it's the super reign of of well, whoever's a sovereign is right. the ruler so you over could say all things. the like
0: king of kings, lord of lords. He's yes. the one over all the other ones who could be ruling. Yeah. yeah.
1: So he's the supreme ruler. Right. Basically, and a lot of the psalms bring this up that they're praising God because He is the creator and he is the owner, and he's the sustainer. As the creator, he owns all things, he sustains all things. Some examples, Psalm 33, verse 6, maybe you could look that up. I'll go to Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12. 33, verse 6,
0: the psalmist says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth.
1: Yeah, and I, and I meant, I didn't mean, and of course, you want to read verse 9 with it because you're always, <laughs> for he uh, spoke and it was done,
0: he commanded and it stood fast. <laughs> it's yes. Such a powerful little yeah. passage
1: there. So, obviously speaking, creator. one of so many Psalms, that speaks of the fact that God is the creator of all things, and I didn't mean Psalm 51, I meant Psalm 50, verses 10 to 12, For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Mm. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. Mm. Now, it goes on there to talk about sacrifices, which will play into what we're looking at in a minute. In other words, when you bring me sacrifices, God's saying, I I don't need these. I created everything. I own everything. So, again, you're speaking to... The psalmist is speaking here to the sovereignty of God. The fact mm-hmm. that he owns all things, he He therefore superintends all things, right. he's over all things, he controls all things.
0: Yeah, it's, you have the little note in there about First Chronicles as well, when they were gathering yes. things for the Lord. Is like, let's be clear, of your own we have given you, right? Everything we could give to you is yours in the first place. So.
1: Well, I, I mean, I really would want to launch into a... a <laughs> We, we get into this all the time about our works and legalism and our righteousness. And, hey, be careful. You can't earn your own salvation. And you know what I'm talking about. You guys know what I'm talking about. And this verse, I mean, to me, this is like this is this should be one of the very first verses a Christian learns. Mm. First Chronicles twenty They've gathered all these offerings for the Lord. And as David prays to the Lord, he says to the Lord, all things come of you come from you, yeah. and from your own we've given to you. Like, what am I that I can take any credit for this? Yeah. When you realize that God owns everything, what am I giving back to him that he didn't give me first? And this is where Paul says, "What if, if you have if there's nothing we have that we didn't receive, and if we did indeed we did receive it, where's the boasting?
0: Yeah. Th- like, it's a brilliant... Hey,
1: look, I'm mm-hmm. great at this. Who gave you that skill? Who gave you that talent? Who gave you anything? Yeah. So, again, under that umbrella of God's sovereignty, you know, David acknowledges that. Um it's not in the Psalms but it was David who said that in first chronicles 29
0: that's pretty, yeah it's that's that's a really interesting point too it's the same <laughs> but the same concept what are the odds you know yeah. Yeah. but I like how and we don't need to go down this road but you know we think of it material possessions oh Lord you you created the heavens earth so we're just returning to you but the same thing is true in salvation like any goodness I have any righteousness, like any good deeds I can do it's not like My good deeds contribute to your good. No, no, no. There is no my goodness. (laughs) There's only your goodness. So anything good I do is still you working through me. There is no me in this equation.
1: Absolutely. Anyway. So again, we're talking about God's super reign. His sovereignty is the supreme ruler. Yes. Now, it's interesting that the lesson brings this up two places, uh, Sabbath afternoon and also on Monday, both in paragraph three. So I've included both of those here in this quote. But I want to look at the first part that comes from Sabbath, Sabbath afternoon, paragraph three. Uh, why don't you read that first part there? Sure. To the, the
0: Lord's sovereign rule thus renders the world firmly established and secure.
1: Now again, I've taken out of context. It says "thus renders," and so there's more that came before that. But if you just, I, I, I put that first part here to say that we're we're first talking about God's sovereign reign, mm-hmm. and because God's sovereign, we have security. But it's not just in the sovereignty of God. Mm. I mean, God's—you know—there's the old saying, "God's large and in charge." I don't know if you have ever heard that one. <laughs> no. You know, just because He's all powerful and we've got to subject to Him, that doesn't inherently mean security. Right. It doesn't mean goodness. It doesn't mean safety, unless His reign is a good reign.
0: Right. Yeah. No. And he's, he's a exact- good God. Yeah. The idea of an all-powerful God. For some reason, we think, "Oh, wonderful God." If he weren't good, think of how terrifying a prospect that would be. Like he made you, he can controls you, he owns you, and he can do whatever he wants to do. And he's malevolent. He's
1: awful. He's vindictive. Like that's well, think terrific. about horrific. This comes up in atheism all the time. The yeah. atheist says, "I can't believe in God because why is there all this evil?" Well, maybe he's an evil God. Yeah. In other words, the evil doesn't. <laughs> Preclude yeah. the existence of a god. Maybe yeah. he's just an evil god, like all these Greek gods were. You yeah, exactly. So
0: the, the 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 nature of the god of the Bible is so radically different than any other concept of god that we automatically equate. Well, surely he's he's sovereign, so that's good. It's like you know that could. It's a <laughs> that's a very right. narrow window. If it went the other way, it'd be horrific. Anyway.
1: and I'm not implying by that you know that that God is a bad god, but of course just not. that when you realize that for the atheist who says, yeah, I don't believe him because he's bad. When you realize, well, that doesn't really prove anything. I'm just saying, let, yeah. let, let me come make the point. What that says is when we realize that he's sovereign and he's good.
0: There it is. Now that's praiseworthy. Exactly, exactly. So the idea of his sovereignty is is one element of just grandeur and awe, but it doesn't mean anything without the corresponding goodness of his character because it would change everything.
1: What was it in... Uh, in uh, Lion Witch in the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis describes Aslan, who's supposed to be a representation yeah. of God, and he's like, He's safe, isn't he? You know, one of the kids yeah. asked, and and the answer is, Oh no, not at all. But he's good. Amen. In other words, he's all powerful. He's he yeah. makes the mountains tremble and things mm. like that. But he's a good so in the mm. sovereign reign of God, so that it goes on to say, on Monday's lesson, it clarifies a little bit, it says the Lord's reign is established on mercy, justice, and righteousness. And it brings order and stability to the creative world. Yes. So it's bringing that idea of order and stability, security that comes to the world. But it's because his reign is a merciful, just, and righteous reign. Yes. So it's the it's the goodness of this reign of God, which, of course, the lesson is, is going to elaborate on. That'll lead us into our our other um, talking points. But this is where it kind of... To me, I feel like I shoehorned it in a little bit from Thursday's the Thursday lesson. thing, yeah. Because Thursday goes into the testimonies of God. And ironically, in fact, if you look there on Thursday, read what it says there in that first paragraph of what the testimonies, what it calls the testimonies.
0: Yeah, it starts saying, the Lord's supremacy in the world, as sovereign creator, king, and judge has theological implications for the reliability of his testimonies. And it says, the testimonies, and it has the Hebrew word decree or law there, refer to the body of laws and ordinances with which the Lord governs the religious and social life of his people.
1: Now, I was a little disappointed. I felt that was a little narrow. And I actually went and I looked that up. The Hebrew word is eduth. And Dr. Barnes, on his comments on Psalm nineteen seven, Albert Barnes, uh, where David says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. He comments on that word and he says, the word eduth, therefore, refers to the whole of what is revealed in his word, considered as that to the truth of which he bears witness. In other words, he says the testimonies refer to all revelation. Yes. And, and that should really strike a, a, a responding chord to us, as Seventh-day Adventists, because we use that when we talk about the gift of prophecy, not just Ellen White, but all right. prophets. It was the testimony of Jesus. It was revealed from Jesus. And so he's making that point here. And the reason I feel that's, that, that does fold into praising God's sovereignty is the way we know about God's just and merciful and righteous Rule is through what he's revealed to us in his word. That's what gives us that confidence and that that security in knowing he is that righteous and sovereign God. And
0: there's an even broader understanding of his testimonies in the sense that he speaks even through his created works, right? We talk about the first and second books of God. And Paul would appeal to that. You know, the psalmist would appeal to that. Like, look to the heavens. They declare. They speak. Has not their word gone forth? A line? Mm -hmm. And... Paul then says, look, you're still accountable to God because what could be known of him you, you, you didn't, you know, right. cherish, that you didn't love it. And the, the, so there's this, I mean, I, God's mind has all of this information and he chooses to manifest it in some way. He chooses to communicate it in his mm-hmm. creative works, in his um, general revelation uh, of himself through all of nature, then the spe- special revelation of the word, you know, codified, and then there's the word of God lived out in the life of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. All of which is a testimony of God to us. So that's to right. narrow it down and say, well, that means the laws and codes of ancient. Well, I mean, it does mean that, but it's not limited to that.
1: So the the place that I see his his testimony coming in, and the confidence we have is it's, that's his revelation where we learn these other things about his just and merciful mm-hmm. reign. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like what David says in Psalm 25, verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Mm-hmm. So, and that speaks to us again today um, the, the, uh, to the importance of heeding God's revealed will. Now, that takes us into like breaking down this sovereign reign, like the sovereign reign itself is not... So praiseworthy without the components of justice and mercy. And so my okay. next talking point, praising God's justice. Again, drawn from Monday and from Tuesday. Um, one of the things that we see in the Psalms is that righteous judgment is a certainty with God. And when you're looking for, you know, if you want a ruler, you want, and you want, I mean, we, we live in a, a generation today where people are calling out injustice here, injustice here, injustice just. People want a just ruler, mm-hmm. okay? That, that You don't have that security in the sovereignty of whoever's reigning unless they're reigning justly. And so mm-hmm. a righteous judgment, when the Bible speaks about God, it speaks about his righteous judgments and that they are a certainty, which we're going to see here in a moment. And that is part of what gives us confidence in his reign. Mm. Yeah. So. You look like you had a thought there. Or are you going to be... I have thoughts, but I, I don't.
0: I know yeah, our, our clock is ticking, and there's so much we're going to get into with this judgment concept. Sure. Yeah.
1: So righteous judgment is a certainty with God. Psalm seventy-five, verse two, is as the Lord is speaking here. He says, "When I choose the proper time, I will judge uprightly." Mm. Well, that takes my mind to Acts seventeen thirty-one. Mm-hmm. Where Paul says, God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world. So you could see, you could think initially, Psalm 75 five two, it's kind of random. When I choose a prophet, when I get around to it. But that's not what he's saying. God repeatedly, and we're just taking little pieces here, repeatedly talks about a time of judgment mm-hmm. that is... On the calendar, so to speak.
0: Well, you think of the souls under the altar. Remember, they're crying. How long? And yes. the lady's like, just wait. There's a time. Like, the, it's not like this is take God's. And, and praise the Lord for that, that he's not reactionary, that he's not just like arbitrary. He's like, well, that's it. I've had enough. And then so, right. oh. No, no, no. He, he's seen the need for justice before there was even sin. He put a plan in place, a calendar, and he knows that the, the heart of man wants to see it. And he's like, I'm resonant with you, but there's a way we need to do it. And God's sovereignty oversees this judgment.
1: Absolutely. And it, it's it's been planned out that way. The lesson says on Tuesday, paragraph two, this executive judgment clearly will take place at the end of time. Well... Which that's is true. <laughs> I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that. I was disappointed that they didn't bring up when that judgment begins. The executive part is the end of it. Mm-hmm. But as Seventh-day Adventists, we know that that work of judgment began in heaven at the close of the 2300 days. Mm. And I think that's especially interesting because I've had these discussions with non-Adventists and we've had non-Adventists or former Adventists who'll say, oh, what's this idea of the sanctuary and judgment? You Adventists are making this all up. It's not there in the Bible. Well, the Psalms, among other places, is one place where it's very clear Mm-hmm. that judgment and the sanctuary are intertwined. Yes. Um, I'm going to have you read Psalm 73, verse 17, and then I'm going to go to Psalm 122, verse 5, just for a couple examples here.
0: 73, 17 says, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed
1: my hands
0: in innocence. Maybe give so, a little
1: context of, you know, what he's talking about there, the the, the prosperity of the wicked.
0: Yeah. All they, that. Oh, yeah, this is this is the concept um well you have just verse 13 in there but I'm thinking we wanted oh 17. No, I wanted 17. I went in 17. I, th- I thought you said 7313. I'm like okay. well, that's a, that's a start. But clearly David here is he's frustrated. Yes. He's looking around at the prosperity of the wicked and saying like, "Hey, I'm doing everything right, at least according to what I know, and they're doing everything wrong. Right. How come they're thriving and I'm over here like right. dodging so the bullets all day?" Right. So the question is,
1: where's the justice? Right.
0: In verse 17, in uh, verse 16 and 17, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end.
1: Their being the wicked. Then, right, and that's, then and that's the
0: prospering. place of that judgment is the sanctuary in heaven.
1: So that's, I mean, I could do this whole lesson on it. That. that is such a powerful verse or passage where what he's saying is, I'm seeing injustice and I don't have any answer for it. And it's frustrating me and there seems to be no place... And then I went into the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. The the sanctuary was the place of judgment yes. that answered those questions. I mean, for all generations, of all generations, what a generation to have that sanctuary focus Amen. that we have a seventh day Adventist. So you have the sanctuary and the work of the sanctuary tied to that work of judgment. Also, Psalm one twenty two, um, the Bible, and I'm I'm. <laughs> I want to zero in on verse 5, but it's basically saying that that we're going up, I was glad, verse verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So we're talking about the sanctuary, the temple. And then it goes up in verse 4 to say, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel. It's talking about the ark of the testimony Mm -hmm. in the most holy place of the temple. And then he says in verse 5, for thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Mm. So this whole passage is saying we're going up to the sanctuary and that's where judgment is taking place. In the most
0: holy place of the heavenly Sanctuary, because that's where judgment's established. Powerful. Absolutely.
1: So the work of judgment, you know, God, you know, there and we read in Psalm uh, seventy-five, when I choose the proper time, I will judge. Well, He did choose a proper time, and He set a time, and He's got a time prophecy that points to that time when that judgment will begin, and the place of judgment is outlined here in the Psalms, and mm. that's when God. So God, God's justice is not, as you said, it's not just uh, on a whim. Yeah. He has, he he sees the big picture, and he has planned. Very systematically, things are going to happen as he intended. And yes. he will bring judgment and equity and all of these other things. Um, what's also interesting is that comes from the Psalms, when you're looking at the, the subject of judgment, is that God is actually being judged in how he judges. There's an accountability mm-hmm. level to God here. Uh, Psalm 51, verse 4, if you'll read that. Sure. It says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done
0: this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge, so now, interesting that you will be found blameless when you do your work of right. judgment, not that I would be so there's a yeah. there's
1: a there's an important there's a need for God to be found innocent, yeah as the judge, yeah, <laughs> when he does his work of judging now notice how Paul quotes that in Romans three and verse four, but listen to how he words it he says, um." And for, in fact, verse 3 says, For what if some did not believe, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Mm. Now, in Psalms, it said that you may when be you justified judge. when you judge, but here he says when you are judged. And you, and mm-hmm. they're not contradicting. It's basically saying that God is being judged in how he judges. In other words, mm-hmm. the way he judges is testifying to his faithful, sovereign rulership. Mm. So in in Revelation, and we won't look it up, but in Revelation 15, it, it, it says, you are worthy, O God. All the, 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 the beings gathered around the throne are talking about how worthy God is because they say, your judgments have been manifested.
0: And have you ever noticed that in his work of judgment, it's always pictured as being surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, too? Like, yes. even the symbolism yes. in the sanctuary, there's angels on the thing, because you're doing 10,000 times 10,000 gathered before him. And then the books are open, the judgment is seated. He, It's all done on full display, even when we get to that executive phase of judgment, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to arraign everyone before him. There is a transparency to God, not just because, because he wouldn't have to do that. He would mm-hmm. be right in doing... And all of the deliberation being done in a secret room in the chamber right. of his own mind, and then just yes. pouring forth
1: the results. But he said, "No, no, no. Let me work in he a, would be a glass right, box." Right? But his creatures wouldn't necessarily be convinced he was right. Right, and it's where uh, we are right now in the controversy.
0: And it's ju- in, in the nature of the great controversy. It's just as important for God to be seen as right as it is for Him to Absolutely. be right. Absolutely, and that's a powerful thing that. We don't, we, we don't think about these themes enough. I, no.
1: And yeah. an element that the, the, the lesson touches on here is, you know, it goes over the idea of confidence and assurance in the judgment. How can we have assurance? Well, what strikes me here is when God is being judged in the way that he judges, especially you've got the devil who is going. To, if, if there is some opportunity God had to save somebody and he missed it. Mm. I'll de- flag on the play. The yeah. devil's got it. It's like, look, I told you, you weren't trustworthy. You weren't reliable. whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, that's not going to happen. So it is expedient. It is beneficial for God to save the the, the, the lost, to save mm-hmm. sinners. Right? That testifies to what he said all along, yeah. that he is a good and gracious God. So uh, keep this in mind. So in the judgment, if God just says, no, nope, no, nope, can't gum, can't No, no. And he's keeping everybody out, that's not going to fare well for him, no. uh, which is a kind of a, it's a human way of thinking. I speak as a man, Paul would say.
0: <laughs> exactly. But, it, but, but, we, can... but we are men and we have to, God understands that. He appeals to us to come mm. let us reason. He wants us to think these things through. So mm. he, in again, he could do it all privately, but he says, I created you.
1: Now I know how to relate to you. Think on these things. That's right. And he draws us in. So David can say in, in, in Psalm seven, verse eight, "Judge me, O God," because he knows God is going to be righteous in His judgment. He has that confidence. We can have that confidence. Um, it's to God's benefit to judge us righteously. Mm. Um, and then finally, praising God's mercy, um, God's re- uh, sovereign reign. And the lesson brings us out quite a bit. Is a perfect blend of justice and mercy. I have Psalm eighty nine, fourteen here. If you want to read sure. that.
0: Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face.
1: Now, the the, the the thing I'm hitting on in this lesson, I would encourage you as teachers to like. There are certain things that are merciful that everybody knows are merciful. Like when mm. Jesus forgives the woman caught in adultery, that's merciful. Mercy. But we often think of mercy on one side and justice on the other. But what we see in the Psalms is and in Scripture is that that's not the case. God is always just and merciful at the same time. Mm. And if you'd read the statement here from Desire of Ages 762...
0: Yeah, it says, "...God's love has been expressed in His justice no less than in His mercy. Justice is the foundation of His throne and the fruit of His love. It has been Satan's purpose to divorce mercy from truth and justice. He sought to prove that the righteousness of God's law is an enemy to peace." But Christ shows that... In, so, hold on there.
1: Yeah. So, Satan's purpose to divorce... So, when we say something like, well, God had to be just there, but sometimes he's merciful, or God was merciful, but sometimes he's going to have to be just, we do things like we're divorcing the yes. very things. That, that That's the devil's work. word. God... Well,
0: exactly. So, I, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you there, but, but the idea that justice and mercy are two separate things that are warring against each other, and God is holding them together somehow, when the reality is they are... In the character of God, one Mm -hmm. element, when he speaks, it's not like I'm being just this one time and I've dropped the mercy. They are a blended aspect of his singular character.
1: That's right. Go ahead and continue that statement. But
0: Christ shows that in God's plan, they are indissolubly joined together. The one cannot exist without the other. And she quotes the Psalms. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness
1: and peace have kissed each other. So, um, now sometimes, and we've had some viewers say this sometimes, it's like, sometimes you guys, we get excited and one will talk over the other, it's like, I want to hear what you're going to say. Let me be clear. If he talks over me, I'll get my word in. So you're not going to miss, it's like, you would have said, no, I'm going to say it right here.
0: You know, we have the comments <laughs> turned off in the YouTube channel, just because oh, I God. don't want to know, like, there he did it again, <laughs> type, 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 type. Anyway. No,
1: but it's awesome. So... The idea, then, is that sometimes administering justice is the most merciful thing to do, mm. and sometimes extending mercy is the most just thing to do. In other words, when God's being merciful, it's not that he's not being just. When God's being just, it's not that, oh, I forgot to be merciful, now I'm going to be... It's always a blend. And a great example is this next statement that I, I took from Patriarchs and Prophets, if you'll read that. This was not in the lesson, but... uh
0: Patriarch prophet me. 325 says, Love no less than justice demanded for th- that for this sin, and sh- this referring to the golden calf incident, judgment should be inflicted. God is the guardian as well as the sovereign of his people. He cuts off those who are determined upon rebellion that they may not lead others to ruin. In sparing the life of Cain, God had demonstrated to the universe what would be the result of permitting sin to go unpunished.
1: Now that statement mm. we won't have time to unpack all that but the, the the very first sentence love no less than justice demanded that sin be punished mm. it wasn't we would say well justice demanded it oh love also demanded it it was just and merciful and the statement finishes up she says that God had allowed Cain to live so that when later on he would punish sin and people would be tempted to say wow that didn't seem very merciful God could say now you remember what happened when I let Cain live that's right. If I had done that here, like, then then it would be bad for everybody. And then we say, oh, yes, that punishment is just, but it also is merciful to all God's creation. And you
0: think about with Cain, I always thought, well, Cain, God was just, I guess, being nice. Yeah. He should have killed him, but he didn't, even though the bl- brother's blood cried out from the ground for justice. He was like, no, don't hurt me. He's like, okay, I'll be merciful. As though it was an act of mercy to Cain. But in reality, it was an act of mercy to succeeding generations who could look back on the the life of Cain and the consequences right. of that, that, that outgrowth of his sin. And God can then say, look, this is why justice is so important. Do you not remember Cain? And right. the brilliance of God cannot be understated. He uh, overstated. Whichever yes. one is the one that's too big, yeah. right? It's, it's, <laughs> he, he's over, so overstated. His ways truly are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. Mm-hmm. And God's mercy and justice are not in competition. They are a singular Attribute of God's,
1: and it's that beautiful attribute that makes the sovereign reign of God so praiseworthy. So, thus the we've just scratched the surface here, obviously, but this is what we're looking at: is those elements that make God so unique and so praiseworthy. Mm -hmm. So, I included in closing the statement from Friday's quarterly. um, There's the first sent two sentences are not in Friday's quarterly, but I went back to Steps to Christ to get them. Page fifteen, it says the matchless love of God for a world that did not love Him. The thought has a subduing power upon the soul and brings the mind into captivity to the will of God. The more we study the divine character in the light of the cross, the more we see mercy, tenderness, and forgiveness blended with equity and justice. And the more clearly we discern innumerable evidences of a love that is infinite and a tender pity surpassing a mother's yearning sympathy for her wayward child.
0: Mm. Incredible indeed. Mm. Yes, lots to praise the Lord for in his sovereignty and goodness. But now our time is up, so let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being, not only being sovereign and powerful, but being righteous and just in all of your ways. Thank you, Lord, for the Psalms that draw this out and bring it to our attention and help us today to praise you for those things and think on these things more often and share this love and incredible power of God with others. For we pray it in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen.